Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here. We are experiencing some, some technical difficulties, so I'm going to say basically hold on while you hear us. And if you're listening in live, we'll just delete this from the uh, thing. So I'm going to figure this out one way or another. Okay, we're still here. Chris, you're probably still here. We're here. Chris, you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. So I'm going to give you a phone number. So can you write this down, then you'll call back in? Yes. And I'll have to three-way Scott on here as well. So, okay. So here's the phone number, 224-501-3412. So it's 224-501-3412. Okay. And then it's going to ask for your your number. Followed by the pound. Oops. Hey, Scott, are you there? Okay. And then you'll dial a PIN number, 119-749-309-POUND. So it'll be... Oops. It'll be 119... Seven four nine three zero nine pound. Okay. And um, so hang up, dial into that number, and then we'll see if we're on. Okay. Thank you. Hey, Scott, uh, can you grab a pen and write this down? Because I'm not good at all these uh, technical things at the same time. Yeah, let me uh, I'll type it out on my keyboard on my computer here. Go right ahead. It's 224 And then the PIN number is 119-749-301. I'm sorry, 309. So 119-749-309. Okay. I'll tell you what, I'll call into it right now. 
Chris is on now. I think I got Chris on. Chris, you here? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yep. So, Chris, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute out the other line that you dialed into on the computer, and Scott's going to dial in, and then we'll okay. be able to do the show. Awesome. Yeah. Yep, Chris is in. So, Scott, you just hang up on me and just dial in. You should be good. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Okay, let's see. Now, this is weird. So, you should be here, but I don't see you on yet. Does it help if I talk any? Does it make it pop up in any way? I don't yeah, know. It helps me try to figure this out. Like, you're here, but I don't see you on the online meeting, which is really strange. But I hear you, so what the hell? Let's go see. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll record this on this as well, and we'll see. So you're on the you know you're on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Hey Scott. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Um just uh sorry sorry about the technical difficulty. We had a, a rock solid platform for over eight years and, and just recently um the provider for Peter it it's just not been uh consistent. It's been consistent for a few weeks, but before that, there was a week or so, right, Peter? Yeah. Um, um, and now it's acting up again. So, sorry about the delay. I guess um, I guess a couple quick questions before we go on air, Peter. Or are we on air right now? We're kind of on the air right now, but I'm a little concerned okay. because I don't see you guys on the go to meeting. But you dialed into the number I gave you, right? So that means that should be fine. Let's go see. I'm going to close this. Yeah, I can hear both of you guys fine. Yeah. I just want to make sure that if we do something, I'm going to be able to record it. Right. Oh, 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 now I know why. No, wait a minute. I three-wayed me into the recording, but you guys should still be showing up on the recording. Huh. Maybe you were all tied into one call so to speak yeah so i'm just trying to think this through because i still see me on building yeah. i still see me on the go to meeting I'm, I'm sorry go to meeting is what we're using for the number you guys are dialing in so if i hit record right. we should be good on everything okay so here's here's what we'll do scott we'll just wing it i'm going to replay the intro so it's easier for us oh wait a minute let's go see Well, there's nobody else listening in because the usual number is not working. So, um, you know, we can have this conversation, right? That's true, I suppose. So I guess one question, one question, Chris, do you want to use your real name? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't mind that. Um, and and uh, I know that you don't want to make any well, comments this, on the settlement. Did, did this, you... is, this is still being recorded on the um, go to meeting on the uh, blog talk radio platform. So it's live. Okay. Like, where, but you can edit that out, right? No, because it's live right now. So I'd have to. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't want to talk about personal stuff just in case. Well, let's do this. I'm going to hit this, the record button on my go-to meeting, and that will record this audio as well. 
and then I'm going to redo the intro, and then we'll do our radio show. But why don't we do this? Let's imagine that something goes bad. So let's not do it for an, let's not do it for 90 minutes. Let's try to keep it to an hour. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna let me start. I think we can start with the sailing point for an hour. And we could always have Chris come back. So I'm gonna hit sure. start recording on this. Okay. Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here. You're listening to us on Building Fortunes Radio. It's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. For anybody that might be listening in, it's a Saturday. It's around 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 on the Central Side. And the platform that we are using is having some technical difficulties. See, I think they use cell phone numbers, and if you're here in the United States and maybe even in Canada or somewhere else, you might have noticed there have been some cell carrier problems. Well, I think that kind of messed up some of their stuff, and I don't know if they've been able to reprogram their way into it. So we're working around several different methods just to try to get a recording in because Scott Johnson has a special guest. So I'm going to keep my introduction relatively simple. And if it sounds a little bit different than usual, it's because we're three-waying in, in. We're three-waying in, and we're using separate conference calls and separate platforms. So I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to try to do the best we possibly can and uh, give this a whirl anyway. So we are here tonight with Scott Johnson. He's been doing a radio show with us with many, many, for many, many years. We talk about lots of things, MLM-related mostly, and uh, we have a special topic with a really great guest today on a topic that we opened up last week. So if you go back to buildingforgeradio.com post slash scott-johnson, you'll be able to hear last week's radio show, and that'll make a lot more sense with some of the things we're referencing right here. So again, I'm going to keep my introduction relatively brief. Scott Johnson, thanks for being here on your own radio show. Hey, Peter, thanks for having me. And I'll try to keep my uh, introduction brief as well, but I do like what I see as the two major problems with MLMs because um, there's there's two camps out there. There's the pro-MLMs and there's, and there's the anti-MLMs. And uh, the, the people on both extremes, in my opinion, are clueless. They, they don't understand what's going on. Um, I say, and Peter says, we like MLM when it's done right. We don't like it when it's done wrong. And we have specific criteria for what it is doing right and wrong. So the two main topics, in my opinion, are number one, and this is present in Amway and some other MLMs like Herbalife. It's what I call the Amway tool scam. This is where the upper-level distributors, the scum, if you will, um, charge for meetings, books, recordings, phone apps, website access, voicemail, all kinds of things um, under the pretense that they are uh, training and motivating their downline. Now, the content I don't have a big issue with. Not that I agree with everything in the content, but I'm not going to agree with anybody on everything. I understand that. So I'm not looking for absolute agreement on every point they make. Um, That's just not going to happen. That's not practical. but I do think in, in bulk, the information is pretty good. Now, what makes it a scam? I don't have a problem with people making money at all. But 
if they're doing it dishonestly, then I do have a problem with it. And here's what's going on in Amway. Pretty sure every other MLM that has a tool scam, and that is the upline that's selling the stuff pretends they lie by omission that they're making most of their money from Amway. They're not. They're making most of it from the tools. In fact, if you go to Rumble right now, rumble.com, look for the user text text, T-E-X, T-E-X, all one word. Um, you'll find a video there by the great Joe Markowitz. I use that in quotation marks. Um, and, and he's given about a nine-minute speech. And on two different occasions in that video, he says the sole reason, in other words, the only reason that we sell tools is to help the downline build a business. That is a flat-out lie. They, they sell the tools to make most of their profit. And if you go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Johnson, that's S-C-O-T-T-T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, all one word again, uh, you'll see links to my three websites. And in those websites, you can find examples of people who got kicked out of Amway over the years, going back to the 1970s, uh, that uh, after they get kicked out, then they start talking about it sometimes. And so I've collected those and put those on those websites so that people can see for themselves. It's not me making these claims. It's the people that got kicked out that have said, yes, I was making the, the most extreme one is 10 times more from the tools than from Amway. So that's the lie, is they're lying by omission, giving people a false impression. Um, I believe that's RICO fraud. I'm not a lawyer. Um, it's at least business fraud because when you – when you misrepresent the business model, when you tell people that you want to get in business with only part of the story and not the rest of the story where you're making a ton of money and they're losing a ton of money, uh, then you're committing fraud. And that's just the way it is. Now, the second problem, because that's not a universal problem in MLMs, the second problem is either universal or nearly universal, and that's the lack of retail sales. And, and when I say retail sale, that's where someone who is not part of the MLM compensation plan, i.e. a customer, is buying the stuff. Um, in most MLMs, everyone I've looked at, I've found zero MLMs where it's clear that most of the products or services are being sold to customers. And unfortunately, there's no federal law that defines the minimum. But when the FTC settled with Vima and Herbalife, both in 2016, both of those settlements included a requirement for retail sales, as I just described, and it's around 50%. Uh, Bemos was 51% or more to customers, and for Herbalife, it's kind of a sliding scale from one-third to two-thirds, but when you go in the middle, it's 50%. So that seems to be the marker, if you will. I believe that most MLMs are in the lower single-digit percentages. I know that Amway is 3.4% because Orrin Woodward in 2007 uh, put that in his lawsuit against Amway uh, saying that it was 3.4%. That's based on a uh, confidential study that was done by a third party that Amway requested. Of course, when Orrin put that in the lawsuit, he violated the confidentiality of that particular study, and Amway sued him for that. Uh, they did not sue him for the number being inaccurate. They sued him because it was a conflict.
us a little bit about your background first, um, you know, what you were doing when you were approached by uh, Family First and, um, you know, how the approach worked and, and, and what was your experience. But start with a little bit about yourself, just, you know, what were you doing, what were you up to, you know, what was going on, and then what happened. So, again, welcome to the show, and go right ahead, Chris. Thank you, Scott. Um, so before I started with Family First Life, I was and I was doing construction. I was a second year plumbing and HVAC apprentice, sheet metal worker. And uh, around the time COVID happened, I had lost my job due to COVID. The company I was working for laid off a lot of people. And we moved forward just looking for something. Me and my family, after that employment started to dry up, we uh, decided we were going to get our insurance license, as me and my wife. And uh, as soon as you get your life insurance license, they sell your information to tons of different agencies. And within a matter of a week of me getting my license, I was already getting calls from Family First Life. And I noticed one of my friends worked at Family First Life. So I reached out to him on Facebook. He was a buddy that I had played football with and seventh and eighth grade and I I just knew him so I figured all the stuff I was hearing there was a lot of advertisements going around at that time of uh, them flashing new people and uh, young people saying that they started and they're making $40,000 a month or even more than that um, talking about how easy it is and anyone can do it it was just all over my YouTube ads and in my emails I have a quick, quick question for you. Quick question for you. Uh, do you remember any other companies, whether they were MLMs or not MLMs, that were life insurance companies that contacted you during that time? Um, yes. So you actually get contacted from a lot of different companies. It wasn't just Family First Life. You get, like, letters from, like, smaller agencies around town as well, too. Like, hey, we heard you have passed your – life insurance exam, like just like a small little generic postcard type thing, right? But Family First Life was like more aggressive with it. They were actually calling you and they had acquired your number and they were reaching out to you directly in like a more come work for us kind of way. Uh, a lot of the other times... Were there any, kind of just like are there any other were there other MLM or non-MLM insurance companies that were that aggressive as Family First? Um, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is different ones like Primerica and World Financial Group, and they actually will recruit you whenever you're not licensed. That's part of the reason why I started looking into getting licensed is because I had been approached by Primerica before. And I do know what they do is they recruit people that are not licensed. But most of the time with Family First Life, they were looking for people that had just got their license. They were buying data from people. Not not any other company was doing it in that way. Gotcha. Hey, thanks for that clarification. Sorry to interrupt. Go right ahead. Oh, you're good. Um, So after I reached out to my buddy, he had told me that he was making like – five to ten thousand dollars a week and he was only investing like five hundred to a thousand dollars a week into leads and telling me how easy it was so after some debate and a few months of talking it over with my wife i decided to go ahead and give it a shot 
so we started and I didn't really have the money to invest in it at first I had only had like a hundred dollars this week two hundred dollars this week I didn't have the 500 to a thousand a week they were telling me would be the best right so I just plugged into the trainings tried to learn more about sales and continue working until I was able to get another stimulus check and I was able to put more money into the leads. After that point, I started putting more money into the leads and I started seeing some success. Um, I had a really good week one time and then uh, about a month after that, I uh, started to get emails from some of the carriers Family First Life has telling me that I owed money for different policies from commissions that didn't settle. I guess what you do is you get an advanced commission whenever you get paid in life insurance. And they weren't being honest about that. They didn't really tell me that. So what ended up happening is if someone doesn't keep that policy for two years, what you do is you owe a back a back charge on that. A chargeback is what they call it, right? And uh, I ended up getting all sorts of emails from the carriers saying that I owed money while I was on my way to a training event. And uh, whenever I showed up to one of the training events out there in Tampa Bay, they were telling me about this uh, debt, how it was something they could sue for, and how a lot of agents don't actually leave they end up paying the debt just because they can get sued over it and I was kind of flabbergasted by it because they had told me that there was no risk and that I could come and go as I pleased different stuff like that and now they were telling me that that debt is something you could sue agents for because they were telling me to recruit new agents and I was like why would agents want to come and work for us if they could owe money back on these on these policies they sell and they we're kind of just like, yeah, they don't normally leave. We can sue them for that money. And it was just, it was so crazy to me. I uh, continue yeah, to we, try to work there and try could, to sort it out. If I could if I could interject again real quick, um, we were talking a few days ago. I was under the impression, I don't know much about the insurance company uh, or the insurance industry, I should say. Um, I had assumed um, that non-MLM insurance companies have similar policies where yes, you can sell an insurance policy and make the money. But if the person stops paying after one or two years, then you have to pay that money back. It's only after that one or two years goes by um, that you do not have to pay it back. Um, And you indicated to me that that's really something only that MLM insurance companies do not your traditional insurance companies. Can you, can you just describe that a little bit? Cause that was news to me. I, I just didn't know. Um, I just assumed it was the same, whether it was MLM or not. So if you could just describe that a little bit. So maybe it's different as the agency owner, whenever you actually own an agency, but as far as it goes, if I were to look into getting a job, let's say for farmers or state farm, what they would do is they would give you a performance based salary, right? And you would have the ability to get extra incentivized bonuses. So they would start you with a salary and it wouldn't necessarily be based on the policies you sold. Like 
I do believe that keeping good business is a part of being an insurance. I mean, of course, making sure you're writing policies that are owed, but at the same time, you wouldn't be penalized whenever someone were to cancel a policy whenever you're working for an agency like State Farm or Farmers, right? And that's kind gotcha. of like a big difference. Yeah, that is a big difference. And I'm going to talk to my insurance guy about that, by the way. Um, I'm going to ask him um, and, and see what he says. He works for uh, Northwest Mutual. Uh, he's a Northwest Mutual employee, um, so he's you know direct with the with the insurance company, not in an MLM. Um, and I'm going to ask him uh, and see what he says because that was news to me. I I just didn't have an understanding that MLM was different than a traditional insurance company. Um, so I'm going to dig into that some more because that's very interesting how. Uh, the MLMs, because I think every MLM I've come across, every insurance MLM has had that same policy of, hey, if they stop paying after one or two years, you got to pony up the money, um, you know, which really tells you that that money is not yours for one or two years. You know, you better put it in the bank somewhere, keep paying, or else, you know, you're going to have to dig into your own pocket uh, to pay it back. Um, no, so it's that's just real interesting. Yeah, I'm still here. I said it's certainly a loan. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. Sorry to interrupt again, but I just wanted to cover that real quick because that was interesting to me when you were talking about that when we were on the phone a few days ago. Um, go ahead with your with your experience. Well, after. A few months of sitting there investing the five hundred to a thousand dollars a week, I finally decided that it kind of wasn't working because I had uh, gone to a convention, and it was a sales convention in two thousand twenty-two in uh, Miami. And whenever we had went there, it was just fairly obvious that a lot of the people there were kind of not making money. It was kind of like any other MLM. Whenever you got down to the nuts and bolts of it all except a lot of people were in debt. And I had had a vice president of mine I was talking to, and he told me that being vice president wasn't much different than just being a normal agent in this business, saying that it was pretty much the same, except he had more debt to handle. <laughs> and uh, he pointed to one of the founders of the company um, that are currently being sued in Dallas County, and he said that they were in that their agency was in massive debt and they were probably about to lose their integrity deal over it. And it was kind of a uh, crazy to actually think about later on that night. I uh, got into an argument with my immediate upline and I left that night and just didn't come back. I had decided that there was really nothing left for me at, over there. So, I, and your immediate upline was that guy that uh, that immediate upline was the guy that you played football with back in the seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, curious, I left. That was like another February another uh, curious another curious question for you. Uh, you mentioned Tampa Bay and Miami. Um, number one, I'm actually born and raised in St. Petersburg, which is right next to Tampa. Um, that's interesting. Um, but even more interesting, I was wondering. How did you get down? And these were annual conferences, right? How did you get to Florida? How did you make that travel? Oh, so whenever I went to Tampa Bay, I had flew to Florida. And then whenever I went to Miami, I drove my car. 
Gotcha. Okay. Because in Amway, there's generally what they call major function. There's usually four of them a year, sometimes three, but usually four. Um, and you have to get there on your own, whether you fly, drive, you know, ride in a bus with a bunch of other distributors. Um, that's, you know, there's different modes. Um, I was just curious, you know, how it worked out for you. Um, did, did you drive because you just had less money uh, to get down there yeah. the second time? Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. pretty broke. We were uh, we were driving, so I could save money, and then we were trying to uh, share rooms whenever we got there with other people just to be able to afford it. Yep, that's uh, very common as well. Uh, I guess another question for you, when you said you had that good week or that good month, was it people that you knew, or was it just these random um, – leads that were given to you and you just happened to get lucky and, and were able to close some deals? So it was kind of a good mix. Honestly, I had some friends that bought some policies and then they kind of made social media posts for me and referred me to some different people. So I had about 60% come from like warm market and referrals and then about 40% come from me because I was starting to invest money not into they had like crm leads which are leads that they sold themselves and then if you had been lucky enough to connect with someone who is like maybe a better producer a top producer you could find different lead sources from them and that was one thing i was able to do i was able to find a different lead source implement them and i hadn't had some luck with them gotcha gotcha and and peter did you have any questions or comments one of, the, one of the first questions are, uh, you know, we're talking about the insurance industry, and a lot of people, like you had mentioned, Christopher, you're learning the difference between advanced commissions, which are those you might have to pay back if the customer doesn't complete their end of the deal, and then earned commissions. So if you're like selling a bottle of potions and you're making $10 and the customer walks away with the bottle and doesn't show back up, you, you earned your commissions right away. If it's an advanced commission, many times advanced commissions are really rich relative to the price the customer pays. So could you give us an example of, and it could be a general example, it doesn't have to be a specific example, what did someone buy, how much did they put down when they bought it, and then how much would you make? So can you give us an example of one? Uh, yeah, so here's a good example. If uh, someone spends $83.33 a month on insurance or more, then what that equals is $1,000 annual premium. As a family first life agent, you would get, starting off, it would be about 90% of that or 100% of that, and you would get uh, 75% of it up front is the way that it was described to me. So. If it was a thousand dollars, eighty-three thirty-three, it'd be a thousand dollars a year. So you would get seven hundred and fifty dollars of that. So for those people that are listening in, right, you're selling your customer on an eighty-three dollar a month thing. That sounds pretty easy, especially a policy, right? Yes. So yeah, for a policy, so they're buying something for eighty-three bucks. You're getting seven hundred and fifty. The person who is above you, let's say, for instance, it's the office owner or the agency owner, whatever the terminology might be, he might get a little bit of that as well. 
and then what happens is that person's supposed to stay paying that commission or I'm sorry, paying that monthly payment for at least another year or two. And if they don't, the insurance company comes back and says, listen, we advanced you $750. Now you owe it back. And a lot of people are not really familiar with the difference between advanced earnings or advanced commissions versus earned commissions. When you have to pay that back, you've probably already spent the 750 And gosh forbid, if you have a week where now you know you're two or three months into it, somebody decided that I've don't want to don't want this insurance anymore so they cancel it and now you can have two three four policies charged back and that could be a lot of money that you would owe and you might never be able to dig your way out of this and to just kind of connect more of the dots when you were saying hey listen I was broke but then you also said I was paying 500 to a thousand dollars a week for leads you were basically being advanced so much money, you were able to, like if you closed one or two deals, that paid for your leads that week. So you were able to pay for your leads based on your advanced commissions, and unfortunately, after a couple of months, the whole thing could fall apart, and you could be pretty heavily in debt, and then nowhere to go, and now all of a sudden you're learning that, wait a minute, this insurance company might go after you because you signed a contract, and they might be going after you and then sue you. And the, from what I'm reading, and this is what Scott will check up on, is the branch office owner or the agency owner has the ability to kind of make up his own deal. So he could make up, I'm going to give you a little bit of base pay, or I'm going to give you 100% of your commission, I'm only going to give you X percent of your commission. But in reality, all that stuff falls apart as well if there's chargebacks. So any industry where there's advanced earnings or advanced commissions and there's a high rate of chargebacks, there's going to be this delayed cluster mess, which it sounds like you got yourself involved in eventually. So did I do a fair job of yeah, telling that story for those people? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. yeah, did I do a fair job of telling that story for those people that might be unfamiliar with the insurance industry? No, definitely. And here's the thing I guess I have learned later is that not all insurance companies pay advanced commissions. Sometimes you can get earned commission pay as earned, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really too aware of that from the beginning, but that's also an option there. But it is, it's kind of like building on sand at the end of the day, because you could be good for two, three months in a row, right? But on that fourth month, you could have so much pile up that it just takes you out of the business. And that's kind of the whole thing about the industry. You kind of nailed the spot on, Peter. Yeah, I just want to make a quick comment that if, if that was not clearly explained to you up front, you know, that, that there are those commissions that might be clawed back, as if it were, um, then that's wrong. If they didn't tell you about that, you know, if they didn't tell you, hey, you better bank this money for a year or two, uh, because it it may not be there. Uh, if they didn't tell you that, you know, that's wrong. I, I think that's fraud too, because they're not describing how it really works. Um, uh, and certainly you were spending a lot of money on leads. Uh, I, I don't know 
and I'll talk to my insurance guy about this too. I don't know if that's common in the non-MLM insurance company that you spend that much money. How, how much money would a thousand dollars in leads cost you? For me, like, what what do you mean by that? Yeah, if you said, "Hey, I got a thousand dollars," how many leads? Would, how many how many leads would they give you? It totally just depends on the company that you go through. So if you want to get leads that have a higher success rate, like somewhere in the area of like 40%, then you're going to want to pay $25 or more a lead. But if you just want to get a lot of leads and, you know, break a lot of telephone laws, calling consumers, then uh, you can get their leads for like anywhere from $3 to $5 a piece. And did you buy both types of leads, both the more expensive and less expensive? I was at first. I was buying the uh, less expensive, and then I moved to buying the more expensive. And then, like, there for a minute, they just seemed like the same quality after so long. <laughs> so That was my next I, question, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was really weird because, it's like, at first, you would go through a new lead vendor that everyone would talk about, and it would be really good for, like, a month, and then it would just turn into, like, the normal and that brings up a question, did, did they give you some good leads up front to get you sucked in, you know, to sort of set your expectations in a positive way, and then after they got you all excited and making a little bit of money, um, then they went back to the bad leads and, and again, took advantage of you. Uh, I wonder about that. It, that certainly sounds like that's what happened. You know, we don't know. You know, maybe it was just the luck of the draw. But it is suspicious. I I certainly think that there's a lot of weird things that went on there that would lead me to believe that that's true. Because um, when you look into it, they were advertising for a bit bounty leads, right? And what that means is they would take an agent's book of business after they would leave. And they would sell those leads. That's what they were advertising. Like, oh, these are inactive agents, old book of business, right? And the more you think about that, I mean, like, if those agents are inactive, but they hadn't been there for, what, six months, maybe even just a year, what does that mean? I mean, they're just reselling leads to charge back on that agent, right? <laughs> so it it makes you wonder because they were also forcing agents to sell, like, the most expensive policies right off. They were telling them to always sell America, that it was the best for the client, it was the cheapest, and it was actually not the cheapest, nor was it the best for the client. Their underwriting's kind of strict. So, I mean, when you think about it, when they're pushing this company, that costs more than the others, and then they're reselling the lead later to a different agent, doesn't that open up a whole room for this chargeback to enter into the agent? And it's as though they don't care because they could just try to enforce this contract against the agent and say you owe that money back and they just pay it. Right, right. Now these these leads, were they being sold by a third party or was it being sold by your line? So the leads were being sold on the Family First Life CRM. It's a, now the Integrity CRM. They uh, rebranded it. That's where the leads were coming from. Gotcha. So somebody within the Integrity What's it called? Integrity something? Integrity Marketing Group. Yeah, Integrity Marketing Group. By the way, it's headed up by um, uh, 
Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young, San Francisco 49ers. I know you're a younger guy, um, but when I was growing up, that guy ruled the NFL. I mean, he won, I don't know, two or three Super Bowls. He was a superb athlete. Um, and, and I believe, um, I've said this on the show before, and nothing against your, your average Mormon, but there's a lot of MLMs in Utah, which is where most of the Mormons are, either in Utah or Southern Idaho. And for two years, when they get to about 18 years old, 18 or 20, uh, they go out, they're assigned to places across the country, around the world, and they go door knocking for two years promoting the Mormon religion. I don't have an issue with that. What I'm saying is that sets them up to be MLMers because as an MLMer, I know this personally because I was an Amway for several years. You have to be able to, you know, go after your warm market and do cold calling, and you you have to be uh, tough enough, let's say, to take the rejection because you get a lot of it, and and that's just the way it is in any sales environment, whether it's MLM or non MLM. Um, the sales profession is tough. Uh, it takes a lot of skill. It, it takes time to learn those skills, and uh, I believe that that's one of the drivers in MLMs is that sort of Mormon practice, if you will. Um, it, it just makes them impervious to rejection because I am quite sure their success rate door knocking is even lower than Amway's retail sales level, um, much lower probably. And uh, it's, it's hard, uh, but they do it for two years. And it really gets them in that sort of mindset of, you know, high rejection percentage sales activities. Um, and, and so I just want to point that out again, nothing against your average Mormon. It's just, it, it really is interesting. There's a ton of MLMs based in Utah. Uh, and I don't think that's a coincidence. So I just wanted to kind of make that point. I don't know if you had any other experience with that. Um, but let me make one more quick comment. The fact that Steve Young, <clears throat> I think he's a chairman of that, group. Um, the fact that, you know, he is a former professional athlete and very well known in the, particularly in the football world. Um, if you're any kind of a football fan, you'll know Steve Young. Um, and, and a lot of MLMs use different celebrities, whether it be sports or, you know, movie stars, actors, uh, just famous people, you know, Madeline Albright promoted Herbalife for years. She was a former, what was she, a, State Department, uh, Secretary of State. Um, and, and so there's these really famous people uh, that promote MLMs. And most, I wouldn't say most, a lot of people say, well, if that person's promoting it, it must be good. And unfortunately, in many cases, particularly MLMs, it's not. Um, but they use these people to promote MLMs, and I have no idea if they're aware of what they're doing or if they're aware of how the company is operating, um, but they should be, right? Uh, these people should do their due diligence. I think they're just looking for money, to be honest with you. Uh, they don't really care if it's legitimate or not. They're just looking for a payoff, um, and they really don't care. That That's just the nature of these people in general, uh, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, Chris, I'll, I'll hand it back to you. If you have any comments on what Peter and I just said, uh, or if you want to continue your story, uh, go right ahead. Oh, no. Um, 
to be honest, the only real comment I have about it is, like, they do kind of teach you at Family First Life to, like, take your beads and if they don't answer the phone or they say no over the phone to go door knocking, right? So they kind of, uh, they do kind of push a big, uh, big, big kind of door-to-door thing like Mormons, so I can see a similarity there. Um, other than that, I do agree that, I don't know, if Steve Young is kind of knowing what's going on at Family First Life inside his scope of companies and stuff like that, but I do feel like they should have some sort of accountability for it. They do also have, like, other, like, I guess athletes you'd call it, uh, like Sean Merriman, that promote Family First Life as well. So the NBA Sean Merriman? Um, no, I believe he's an ex-football player. Okay, I must be thinking of somebody else. Okay, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, they do use these well-known people to give it credibility, right? That's part of what, mm-hmm. what the whole angle is. Um, so... Now, now, more recently, uh, you have a different profession that you're involved in. Um, yeah, my wife just showed me Sean Merriman, uh, New England? Chargers. Chargers, okay. Um, yeah, I think he's retired a few years ago. But anyway, um, yeah. Was he linebacker? Yeah, linebacker. Yes. So I, I kind of remember him now. Um, yeah, so... Um, I'm not sure where I was. I'm going back and forth with my wife's on the earphone. But anyway, anyway, it's the credibility. Oh, I I know. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. What I wanted him to do before we run out of time is I know that he's kind of addressing some of the challenges and then what happened. So I want to know what he did, if that's that's possible as far as this, this part of the conversation. Yeah, as far as, as much as you can talk about, Chris, um, because you are studying to be in a quite different profession right now. If you want to talk about that and talk about your legal uh, wrangling with family first, you know, to the extent that you can, uh, we definitely want to cover that before the show's over. So I, uh, I left family first life in February, 2022. And I never really thought twice about it. I uh, went and got a job in the marijuana industry, um, doing sales and transportation. They gave me a good salary. And I went from there. And come April 2023, I guess that my upline, the guy I had played football with, he uh, got upset at me for leaving. So he filed a lawsuit against me for a breach of contract. And, uh, I was served two days before my son's birthday on May 8th with the lawsuit notice. And uh, it it was kind of really nerve-wracking at the time because I didn't know what to do. They had always said they could sue me, but I didn't necessarily believe that they could. I felt like what they had done was wrong, and I didn't think that it would be okay in any court of law, but the one thing what was about, the nature? What was the nature of the claim? The breach of contract. What What did they claim that you breached? So that's the thing about Oklahoma pleading code. It's the standard for a breach of contract claim is 
literally just that. They just have to claim that I breached a contract and that I owed them money and that they made demand for the money and I had not paid it. That's all it takes to initiate a breach of contract lawsuit in Oklahoma. So Wow. So there doesn't have to be much bait report. They just have to claim it. No, and it can go that way all the way until discovery. <laughs> and, uh, if uh, wow. discovery comes out and they don't have anything, then that's whenever you can uh, you can get it dismissed. But from the basis of that, it could have went all the way to discovery before anything was found. I had a uh, I had been throwing around options on what I could do to just get rid of it and. Uh, I was uh, talking to my wife, and I was like, yeah, I don't think bankruptcy is that bad. Like, I'm only 23. Like, bankruptcy wouldn't be that hard. And she was like, we're not filing bankruptcy. You better figure out a way to fix this. And I had already been studying criminal justice and looking into going to school for law and doing pre-law after I finished my associate's degree. So I started diving into the role of the civil procedure for the state of Oklahoma and kind of learning as much as I could. I uh, had 20 days after I was served with the lawsuit to reply with an answer or a motion to dismiss. So what I did was I uh, typed out a motion to dismiss because I didn't think that the breach of contract claim that they made against me was good enough to withstand a motion to dismiss. So I filed it and it took me about 36 hours of researching to write out a motion to dismiss and figure out the basis of what I was doing. After that point, whenever I came in to uh, file my motion to dismiss, (laughs) the uh, clerk had told me that I needed to file an answer with my motion to dismiss. And It had to be filed before my motion to dismiss. So I stepped into the law library and I uh, put together an answer for the suit and then put that in in my motion to dismiss. About 12 days later, two weeks, somewhere in that area, the uh, opposing uh, counsel responded to my motion to dismiss and said that it should be denied because, for one, I waived my right to file a motion to dismiss with my answer. And for two, the claim the the claim met Oklahoma pleading code. So, and I guess he was right at the end of the day because they didn't dismiss it. But it did take them almost two months to rule on the motion to dismiss, which was very good for me because I had no idea what I was doing really. So it gave me some time to research the law some more in the meantime and just kind of wait and prepare. And uh. You know, I was going back and forth from the legal library in downtown Tulsa and researching at home and was just looking for anything I could use to kind of sue them back or just kind of find a way to, you know, look for some look for some equality in this whole thing because I felt like what they did was wrong, but at the same time, I had to be able to not only articulate that to the court, but I had to be able to use legal statute and precedents to prove it. So I uh, figured out that there had been one law that kind of stuck out to me like a sore thumb whenever I was doing my research into them, and it was the Business Opportunity Sales Act of Oklahoma. 
And whenever they went to describe what qualifies as a business opportunity under Oklahoma law, it just seemed to describe family first life perfectly to me. And uh, it talked about how these business opportunities had to be registered with the Department of Securities and how they had to have disclosure documents talking about what percentage of people are actually successful. They have to give you numbers to contact and they have to give you all this stuff like a week before you ever enter into a business agreement or contract. And then if you enter into a business agreement or contract, they're supposed to give you a copy of any legally binding contract in writing, different stuff like that. And I just realized that nothing of what Family First Life did. They didn't give me any copy of the contracts. They didn't register with the Department of Securities. Whenever I reached out to the Department of Securities, they said that they had no registration. So after reading into it, I saw that not only could I rescind the contracts, but I could sue them at equity for all the time, money, and consideration spent into their business opportunity, as well as for any bit of money that I was liable for. And uh, I... I started typing out a countersuit, and about a week after that, the judge denied my claim. Um, The judge denied my claim on July 3rd, and I had seen an update in the court records online then, but they uh, withdrew it, and they set it up to where it would update July 5th. Still gotten the notification over it, so whenever I had came in July 5th, to the courthouse with my amended countersuit the judge's clerk was sitting there still putting in the ruling on the motion to dismiss and I gave my uh, motion to amend my countersuit they uh they went ahead and set a court date for it and in the meantime I uh kind of started researching some more into family first life figured out that they had gotten a cease and desist from the Federal Trade Commission, and in it, it specifically stated that they were misrepresenting their business opportunity to consumers, and that they were demanding them to stop. That cease and desist was sent um, December 27th, I believe, 2021. So it was literally a month before I left. So it kind of all tied into the timeline of events and everything. I uh, gave that to the court as evidence, and whenever we came for my motion to amend my lawsuit, they allowed me to amend it, and uh, I had filed my countersuit against my upline and a third-party petition against Family First Life. Upon doing so, I had uh, instantly began settlement talks with the attorney of my upline, and we just recently settled out the case. And that's that's kind of all that there's been to that with me. Outstanding. Um, so when you amended your filing, um, minus the part about the FTC warning, um, what what were the things that you put in there that were amended? You know, what was different from your original filing? So. Whenever I filed originally, I had just filed an answer to the lawsuit. I didn't file a countersuit. I had said that we didn't have any contract in place and that they were violating the 
uh, FDCPA by filing a lawsuit without contacting me first, trying to mediate the claims, and no countersuit to be specific. I hadn't known what I could sue them for. I figured I could use fraud, but fraud just kind of seemed so so narrow and tailored, and I was kind of worried about my ability to write a fraud claim at that time, so I had just started researching into other law just to kind of do with the business opportunity and specific and franchise law. And that's what yeah, I, I mean, you were, you were, you were literally learning as you were doing all this stuff. This, the, you know, you're yeah, not an attorney currently and, and, and you're studying law, but you told me you're studying criminal law and, and civil law is very different, of course. Um, uh, but you were learning as you were going and that's, I applaud that as far as your tenacity um, to take this on, because obviously you couldn't afford a lawyer, right? Um, and no, that's why you were representing yourself. No, I couldn't afford a lawyer. At the end of the day, they're all like $500 an hour or more if you want to get a good one. And, yeah, I hate to say that I wouldn't even be able to work a whole week and pay a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, it's a, right. kind of a sad thing. It's something that, you really don't expect whenever it happens, and it's why I always recommend to learn the law. I uh, wish at the time that I was better able to file a fraud suit just because that would – I do believe that what they have is a fraud. They have fraud. They're defrauding the public, right? But fraud is one of the harder suits to file in court just because it has a high pleading standard. Well, at least your experience is out there. Um, other people can learn from it and understand that there is a way. Um, and I think what we heard last week was at least half the states have very similar laws because I think Oklahoma is one of these where they basically rubber stamped um, uh, the, the – uh, I'll say is it FTC or SVC? Um, I guess it's the FTC business opportunity rule. Um, and, and so it's very similar, you know, to the federal law and, and many states have done that. Not all of them, but many states have either made it exactly the same or very, very close. Um, so there's a lot of people out there in Oklahoma and other states, uh, that could take advantage of your experience and, you know, stand up against these, these MLM scams that are just taking advantage of people. There's no other way of saying it. Um, so it's great that you're here. I'm, I'm just tickled that you're here giving your personal story. Would you want to be contacted by anybody um, that is going through a similar thing to help them a little bit? Well, here's the thing. At the end of the day, I can't give any legal advice, but I mean, if there's any way I could tell you more specifics of my story. I mean, I do know that I've done a lot of research into the company and I have a lot of different stuff that I've looked into about them. I know that the law is not different in every state, but I mean, I do think that there's some parallels. If they wanted to discuss my experience and if you have, if there's any similarities with theirs, that's something we could do. I just couldn't give out legal advice. And do you have a website or another way of people getting in contact with you? Uh, no, I don't have a website. Um, anyone's more than welcome to call my cell phone number. It's uh, 918-972-8358. Well, we can do okay, this. great. We can send them up a guest page. So if he wants a guest page, we can have some information logged in there so they can reach out to him if they want to. 
And, and I really appreciate what you're doing, Chris, because um, you have a family, you're studying law. I guess you have a job also. Oh, yeah. I uh, I work full-time. <laughs> I'm a full-time student, and I have two children and a beautiful wife. Yes. So the guy's got his hands full, and he's still saying, if you want to contact me, if I can help you out, he, not legal advice, but you can still tell them your experience. Um, even if they hire a lawyer themselves, at least you have a running start because I would assume that most lawyers would have to do their own research, you know, i.e. billable hours, uh, how to approach this thing. And if you can give them a running start like that, whether they represent themselves or they hire a lawyer, um, you know, they're going to come out ahead either way, you know, versus either not doing anything or hiring a lawyer that uh, has to come up to speed um, on, on what's going on. So I just appreciate that because, you know, your plate's already over full and, and you're offering to help other people with this. Um, that's, that's just tremendous. And, and uh, thank you for that. That's, that's great that uh, you're, you're uh, able and willing to do that. Um, Anytime. So, I really uh, hope to make it a career one day. And what we'll do, once this platform is straightened out, because we're kind of like duct taping and daisy chaining this thing around with either three ways or everything else, what we'll do is we'll have them back when the platform's solid so we can have a, a more cohesive, solid question and answer as well. So I appreciate him being here. Yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we agreed to kind of keep this down to an hour because of our uh, backup methods that we're using tonight. Um, but I always try to ask people, uh, Chris, uh, towards the end of the show, was there anything before the show or during the show that you wanted to talk about, but we didn't get around to doing it? Was there anything that you wanted to put out there? Um, well, I mean, kind of just like what you said earlier, it's not like I'm necessarily against MLM right my uh number one thing about mlms is that when done wrong it just kind of seems like a pyramid scheme with a product you know so i mean i just wanted to throw that out there that i don't i don't think all mlms are wrong i just once again do believe it's the way you conduct your business um other than that no i think we've done a pretty good job here scott okay great yeah we just I just loved having you on the show. This is, I was looking forward to it. I'm even more pleased with the way the whole show went. I, I think I had high expectations and you surpassed them. Um, so I, I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you can help some other people, um, you know, uh, sue these, these scam artists and, and get some of their time and money and effort back uh, as a result. Um, so that's, that's just a tremendous thing. Uh, and, and if enough people do this, uh, because I think if it's only one or two people here and there, they're going to see it as just an operating expense, right? They're going to say, yeah, we had to pay some money, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a drop in the bucket, no big deal. And so it's really going to take a lot of people. And I would also encourage everybody, whether you sue these, these companies or not to submit a complaint to the FTC, uh, it's ftc.gov, and right on the first opening page, there's a place you can click on submitting a complaint, and it's a very easy online form to fill out. 
you can use your real name. You can make it anonymous. I, I recommend your real name uh, because they might want to get back to you with more questions. Um, but either way, you know, submit the complaint uh, because that's how the FTC works. I asked them this years ago. I said, look, I've got this website. It's got all this information on it. It's all sourced. You know, it's not just a guy talking. Um, and, and they said, well, the way our process works is we have to get a certain number of people complaining, and then we will start an investigation. Of course, I asked how many people, and of course they said, you know, we're not going to tell you how many people. So, you know, but my recommendation is everybody, you know, don't think someone else is going to do it. You do it individually, just like you did, Chris. Um, just do it, and, and don't count on anybody else. Um, and hopefully you can recover some, some money from this, uh, um, as well as filing the complaint with the FTC, you can also get some recovery uh, and some of this money back for all of the time, effort, and money that you put into it. So um, I can't stress right, that well, part enough either, Scott, just actually filing the complaints with the FTC because that's one thing about it is there's – that's one thing you learn um, from the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Fraud is one of the least reported crimes, Right especially business opportunity fraud. If you look into it, um, about 80% of people that are defrauded in a business opportunity to anyone besides their family, and only about 7% of people that are frauded think actually file police reports. So at the end of the day, there's not enough people reporting these frauds, and that's why they continue to happen. Absolutely, and I think with MLMs, it's even lower. I, th I think that the... Uh... The relationships that you have in MLMs, you know, it could be a uh, like your in your case, it was a, a friend. Um, it's off, often a friend or a family member, and you know, you just don't want to, you know, complain about them because you have a relationship with them. So, as opposed to just a stranger that defrauded you, which is that seven percent number I think you mentioned, it's probably much lower with MLMs, and and uh, it's unfortunate. But we have to keep reminding people that that's the way to go. Uh, like you said, that is how they operate, the FTC, that is, and the other agencies, is they're going to put oil on the squeaky wheel. They only have so many resources. They have to make a judgment call on where those resources are best spent. When I say resources, it's their time and money. Um, and And so – the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's just the way it is. Um, you, you know, you can not like it, but that's reality. I, I like to deal in reality. Um, but like Rush Limbaugh used to say, I live in realville. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do too. So um, anyway, Chris, thank you. And Peter, I'll let you wrap it up. Excellent. So we'll make sure Chris Coyle is going to have his um, website. We'll have a guest page up for him. So you'll be able to um, have contact information, all that sort of stuff. We'll probably have them back to have a better line and maybe go over same, some of the same stuff all over again. And as we learn more about this, we'll be able to ask better questions too. But, Scott, why don't you give them your web page and we'll call it a radio show. Yes, my Facebook page, which has three websites, my YouTube link, LinkedIn, um, this radio show, you know, all eight-plus years of weekly shows, uh, as well as my uh, email and phone number. Uh, and the top story is my response to the FTC's request for input back in May of 2022 regarding MLM product and 
earnings claims and the problems with those two issues in MLMs. It's the top story on my Facebook page, um, and I would encourage people to read it. It's the only one I know of that answered point by point every question and every sub-question directly. Um, it, it's a rather long document. I think it's 28 pages, um, but I go into a very thorough response to everything that they asked about. Um, so if you go to facebook.com slash Scott Text Johnson, S-C-O-T-T-T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, all one word, you'll find all that stuff there. So, again, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Chris. And, Peter, I'm sure we'll get this technology fixed by next Saturday. Yeah, it's just that's the way techie stuff goes. Who knows? Could be a Russian spy. Something with a weather balloon and Joe Biden. We're going to catch everybody next week on Building Fortunes Radio. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Building Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the designated Building Fortunes Radio segment with Peter Mingle. Be sure to check out the buildingfortunesradio.com website for our featured segments. It's been our privilege to have you listen in. At Building Fortunes Radio, we wish you the success you deserve and are willing to work for. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world.